Good morning, Mountain Park. And yeah, she's pretty amazing. Um, my name's Jan. If I haven't met you yet, I'm one of the pastors here. Hello to those of you joining us online. We're so glad that you're with us. We are in a series called Patient. And if you don't know what that means, then you, if you came in today, if you're here, you got this little prescription card. If you're online, we're going to have it up here in just a minute. There's a statement on this card that articulates exactly what we mean by patient. So we're going to throw it up on the screen. Let's, let's look at this together. And you can fill in the blanks on your card if you have it. We are broken. Everybody say, we are broken. Awesome. Trusting that Christ alone can make us whole, we freely admit our own brokenness and place our lives in his hand. And in many ways, this is a really radical statement, but it's also, in some ways, a statement of the obvious, right? I mean, the idea is that no one is perfect, right? No one here in this room, no one online, even you in the skyboxes, I'm sorry to tell you, you're not perfect either, right? And no one here, we all have flaws, we all have imperfections, and those, those flaws, they're, they're not just about what we do, they're about our motivations as well, right? It's not just that we do the wrong things. It's that there are things inside of us that cause us to prioritize ourselves, our image, our comfort, our convenience, our being right over other people. We all know this. We've experienced it either in ourselves or in others. And this, this, this brokenness is this inside of us. Jesus calls it a sickness, Jesus says this is a sickness, a moral and a spiritual sickness. And he says one of the main reasons he came was actually to heal us of this sickness, which is amazing that, that, that there's hope, right? That there's a way out of this. And so we have two choices. We can either continue to be sick and just allow the sickness to run our lives, or we can accept Jesus's invitation and become a patient and pursue healing. And one thing I've learned about the healing process, you may have learned it as well, is that so many times healing is not about a one-time treatment. It's about an ongoing recovery. Right, So last week I shared about my wife and how her appendix ruptured. And, and so she had a one-time procedure and then she had weeks and weeks and weeks of recovery. Not just from the appendix, but from the wound they had to inflict in order to get the appendix out. Right? And if you've ever broken a bone, you notice I broke my arm. I broke both my arms. Um, I broke this one, and I had a displaced fracture in it. So I had to go to the hospital. They set the fracture. They, and then that was quick. They did that. And then I had weeks in a cast. And then when the cast got off, I had weeks of physical therapy and getting that arm back to strength. Because recovery is a journey, not a one-time event. Right, And the same is true for us spiritually. That spiritually, our recovery is a journey, not a one-time event. And how we handle that recovery, it has a big impact. What we do, it has a big impact on, how, on the healing process. That what we do in that recovery can, can make us better. It can make us worse. And sometimes it can just make us smell bad. Uh, my little brother is uh, an athletic trainer at Oregon State University, and he was telling me a story recently about a time when he was at another university, and an athlete came to him and sprained his ankle, and so my brother Toby, he treated his ankle, and he gave him instructions, here's what you need to do, recover. So the guy went away uh, for, for the weekend, went away for a little bit, and he went back to his home. He lived in a very agricultural area, and he comes back after a few days, and they look at his ankle, and it's still swollen, and it smells Horrible. Like they literally have a gag reflex when, he, when they take his shoe off. Like it just smells terrible. And so Toby, and, and Toby goes to his boss and says, I don't know what the problem is. And they, so they ask him, hey, what, what did you do? What's going on? 
And he said, well, my mom and my grandma, they said that the best way to deal with swelling was to put a bag of vinegar around my foot and then submerge it in a bucket of horse urine and leave it that way. So that's what he spent the next couple days doing while he was recovering. So what we do in our recovery can help us get better, get worse, or smell bad, right? So it's important that we know what our recovery journey looks like. So today we're gonna look at, um, at a, a, an example, a model of a recovery journey in the book of Luke. If you have your Bible, you can open it to chapter five. We're gonna look at uh, his story there, but first, let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you for the recovery process, that this, this process is, is it God, a, a journey where we take one step towards health every day. And I thank you that none of us are the same as when we first met you. And, and we pray that today is one more part of that recovery journey or that you use everything that happens this morning to work your healing in our hearts, in mine, in ours, in those online, in everyone, God. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So um, if you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, we're looking in the book of Luke. The book of Luke is what's called a gospel. There are four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and in these gospels, uh, what, what they are is they're records of Jesus's life written down by people uh, who were there or talked directly to people who were there. And so this, this is an event that happened in the life of Jesus. And this event is actually recorded in three of those gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But since Luke is a doctor and we're in a series called Patient, we're gonna look at Luke's account. Um, so you will start there in, in Luke chapter five, verse 27. And what's happening is that uh, Jesus has been teaching and healing and, and he goes to this area and, and these huge crowds start following him. And he continues to teach and to heal. And then he, he starts walking along a road and he comes across a tax collector's booth. And that was normal in the Roman Empire. They actually set up these tax collection booths by bridges or along the side of the road where, where the tax collectors could stop anyone and, and collect taxes. And so this is what happens. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. And it, and it goes on, and the, the Pharisees, they get angry, and this is then where Jesus has a statement that we say, uh, we've referred to a couple times, where he says, uh, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And one of the things we see here right away about our recovery is that, uh, uh, and it's really easy to miss this, is that our recovery is not about our circumstances. See, it's really easy to e evaluate our level of brokenness by how well we're doing in the world. To, to, to say the things that we can see determine how broken we are. So when we, when we talk about brokenness or a patient or someone being broken, the image we get in our mind is someone who's hit absolute rock bottom in this life. The person who's just completely thrown away their life, they're destitute, they have no friends, and finally things are so miserable that they turn to Jesus. And sometimes that happens. There are stories in this church of where that happens, and that's a beautiful thing. But when, when we think this is the only way that brokenness happens, then for many of us, it never applies to us. Then we can say, well, that's not me. 
That, that's not me. I mean, I, I've got a pretty good life. I'm a smart guy. I, I, I Things are going well. I've got a career. I've got friends. I'm not really all that broken. And that, that's when I graduated high school, that's how I felt. I graduated high school. I had, I had two full academic scholarships. I'd go to any college I wanted. I was doing theater and getting great roles I wanted. I was an athlete as well. I was all league in soccer and, and wrestled as well. And, 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 and I went to college. And, and, and that's why when people came to my room as a freshman and started talking about Jesus with me, I looked at them and said, I don't need that. My life is pretty great. You might need that because there's something wrong with you, but I'm doing fine. And I think that's how Levi felt a little bit. I think he felt similarly because see, in these verses, we see that Levi was a tax collector. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that the term tax collector is often followed by another word that starts with S. Does anyone know what it is? Tax collectors and sinners. Right, And so often we have this picture that tax collectors, we know that they were looked down upon by the religious elite, who, by the way, also looked down upon Jesus, so they're actually in pretty good company. But we tend to think, get this impression that tax collectors just led miserable, isolated, terrible lives. But actually, uh, tax collectors, by most measures, were really quite successful. See, the, the Roman government, they contracted out tax collection to third parties. And they basically said, you can charge whatever you want. Just give us this much. And then they gave those tax collectors access to the Roman army. So those tax collectors could use Roman soldiers to collect as much money as they want. So these, these tax collectors were really quite wealthy. They had power. They had money. They had a house. I mean, it says that Matthew had a house. He had the whole protection of the Roman Empire behind him. And it says that he has friends. Remember, he has that banquet. And it says a large group of other tax collectors and, and others were eating with them. So Levi's life was actually going really well in his mind. If you just measure by circumstances, Levi was on the road to success. And as far as we can tell, Levi had little interest in Jesus either. See, by the time Jesus enters the area where Levi is, the Bible tells us earlier in this chapter, it says, news about Jesus spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sickness. And then right before the encounter of Levi in the Gospel of Mark, it says, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. Guess who was not in that crowd? Levi. Because it says in the next verse, as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax collector's booth. Everybody else is talking about Jesus. Did you hear what Jesus did? He heals the paralyzed man. Did you hear what he said about this? It was awesome. And everybody comes, the crowds, everybody in town comes together to hear Jesus. Except Levi, who's sitting at his tax collector booth. He's more interested in building his own financial empire than he is in anything spiritual, in, his, in hearing about miracles or anything else. He'd rather sit and collect his money. And this is probably not just about Jesus. It's probably uh, somewhere along the way in Levi's career as a tax collector, he, he stopped caring probably about God in general. Because many of the, the activities that he engaged in as a tax collector were actually contrary to the teachings of Judaism. And, and because of them, he would have had to leave many of the spiritual practices that were normal in the life of a Jew. He probably led a fairly secular life, leaving behind much of the faith 
that he might have grown up with. And it was all his choice. wasn't forced upon him. He made those choices. See, Levi's brokenness wasn't some sort of catastrophic moral failure. It was comfort. It was contentment. It was materialism, materialism, convenience, self-interest, worldly success. We have our own version of what Levi was chasing, by the way. I like to call it suburbianity. Some people call it the American dream. It's this idea that the best thing, the most important thing we can do with our life is make money as much as we can, earn the respect of our peers, maybe become a little bit famous or at least internet famous, get a TED talk up there, have a house on a lake with a, with a, with a dog and two and a half kids and, and have annual vacations to great exotic places that I can post on Facebook so everybody is envious of how great my life is. And what happens is we pursue that and we chase after that and God gets set on the back burner and we trade in our role in the grand epic story that God is writing for our little version of it, our little tiny kingdom on this world. See, when Jesus shows up on the scene, Levi isn't looking at his life going, my life sucks. That's so terrible. If only someone could come and fix me. Oh, look, Jesus, let me, he can, that's not what he's doing. He isn't in terrible circumstances, but he has given up his role in God's story. And that is its own kind of brokenness. In fact, that's what real brokenness is. Anything that keeps us from realizing our role in God's story, anything that keeps us from embracing the love he has for us, from letting him lead, from, from us leading the life he has for us, from following his calling, that's the brokenness that Jesus came to heal. It's not about our circumstances. It's about realizing our role in his story, which is why, by the way, Jesus's invitation to Levi has nothing to do with improving his circumstances. Jesus doesn't say, hey, I've got a bigger house for you. Look what he says there in verse 27. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Follow me. Now for Levi, this was not a metaphorical command. Okay, as, as we might think of it. It was not an allegorical command. It, it, it was not an intellectual thing where he said, Levi, keep doing everything you're doing, but just keep my teachings in your mind as you do them. It was not an emotional thing where he said, hey, Levi, you keep living your life, but just know that I love you as you keep leading your life. No, it's a very practical, follow me. That means Levi had to stand up, physically leave his tax collector booth, and then he had to follow Jesus wherever Jesus went. He went where Jesus went. He ate what Jesus ate. He had to trust Jesus to provide food for him. He had to trust Jesus to protect him. He had to to root his identity in Jesus. That His relationship with Jesus was the number one defining quality of his life because he followed Jesus everywhere. And that's what the recovery journey is really all about. Our recovery is rooted in an ongoing relationship with Jesus. That's the key to our recovery. Is this, and that's not a sad thing because look what Levi does. It's, he's not saying, oh, look at all the stuff I'm leaving. Then in verse 29, then Levi held a great banquet. Not just a banquet, but a great, a huge, lavish banquet. 
For all that he's leaving, Levi's not sad about it. He celebrates. He has a party. He buys all of this food and he says, come to my house. See, our recovery is worth celebrating. It's worth celebrating. It's worth having a party for. Because why? 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 Because we're so awesome now that we're trusting Jesus? No, but because of who Jesus is. Look what, I mean, it says that Levi held a banquet for Jesus. It's for him. See this amazing thing has happened with Levi? He spent his whole life, his whole career accumulating wealth for himself. And now all of a sudden, he turns around and he uses his wealth to honor someone else. He says, I'm, I'm throwing this party for this guy. Come and meet this guy. Come see who he is. And that's that's a key thing, too, that, that our recovery, see, it says that a, a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. So Levi isn't just celebrating. He's giving other people a chance to meet Jesus. That, that our recovery is an invitation for others. This is why we celebrate baptisms. We've got baptisms coming up next week. This is why we celebrate that, why we cheer and we have a party and we invite people to come get baptized and we invite people to come and watch baptisms. This is why we do trunk and treat, where we have a party. We have a big banquet and we say, come, come celebrate with us. Come see what we're about. This is our chance to invite the distracted and the disinterested. Now, this wasn't the end of Levi's journey, by the way. It's just the beginning, Right? He goes on to spend three years with Jesus, listening to him and teaching him. And and, and Levi, eventually his name changes. And he writes down all the things that he experienced with Jesus. And he writes them down in a book called, that we call the Gospel of Matthew. And he writes it all out. And it now becomes part of one of the best-selling books of all times. And I think if you were able to talk to Levi today, he would tell you that leaving his tax collector booth was probably one of the best decisions he'd ever made. He went from Levi, the tax collector, to Matthew, an apostle in a movement that is still changing the world today. Jesus gives you and I, all of us, the same call he gave to Levi. Come, follow me. And like Levi, we have to be willing to leave the brokenness that we've identified with for so long and embrace our purpose in this world. Now, this story of, of, of you know, someone who's successful and, 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 and maybe their, their, their success masks their brokenness is a story that has played out in our church in many different ways. And we don't often get to hear those stories. So I wanted to invite someone to, uh, who's experienced this firsthand to come up and share a little bit of their story. So I want to invite my friend Michael to come on up. Let's welcome him up. And I just want to give uh, Michael a chance to ask him some questions just so you can hear from someone, someone else other than just me who's, who's sort of experienced this. So, hi, Michael. How are you? Hi, Jan. How long have you been coming to Mountain Park? Over 20 years. That's longer than I've been here. Um, hey, so um, has there been a time, we're talking about Ma- Matthew, Levi turned Matthew. Uh, was there a time in your life when like Levi, your, your circumstances or your successes masked some of your brokenness. And if you were to come to this message, you would have been like, I'm not broken, I'm good. There is. Um, this series brings me back to a, a time 18 years ago when um, I had a, a beautiful wife, uh, two young daughters, and, and Kim was very pregnant with our youngest. Um, I had a career at the time that was giving all kinds of financial stability and, and comfort there. Um, allowed us to buy a home here in Ahwatukee. And 
on the outside, it presented really well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was traveling weekly for work. There was lots right. of success and, and growing responsibilities at work. Um, weekends were busy. We had lots of friends and mm -hmm. social life and activities with the girls. Um, we'd been coming to church most Sundays, and we were big fans of the child care. Um, <laughs> get some time together. But it, on the outside, I was very satisfied with the way things were at that time. Um, but on the inside, there was a huge gap between what people saw and what was really going on inside of me, in my heart. I was a skilled actor. I was projecting an image, depending on the group of people I was with, I was behaving a certain way that fit in with them. Um, but there were, there were good things. We had lots of togetherness with our family, and, and um, it looked great. But behind the scenes, I was behaving in some very harmful ways. One of those was a deep anger that I carried around with me. I didn't truly understand it, but it exploded in a temper on more than, well, on several occasions. Um, and I've come to learn at the root of that, there was a, a, a selfish pride. Mm -hmm. And I had the habit of thinking that my ideas were more important than anybody else's. Right. I, um, it, it showed itself in many ways. I viewed people at that time as obstacles to getting in the way of what I wanted. Right. So what, what were some moments or catalysts that enabled you to, to really see that brokenness in a way you hadn't before? Yes, uh, my daughter. Um, watching her play with her sister, her older sister, and there came a moment when she started screaming at her and here was this precious little girl with veins in her forehead pulsing and, and I took that in. I watched her daughter, my other daughter's reaction to that and as she absorbed it, the tears just shot out and I could see the reaction in her and it, in that moment it, it broke my heart mm -hmm. that she was learning that for me. I was passing that down to her. There was also another moment with our oldest daughter who was in kindergarten at the time. She came home uh, with a family picture. She had an assignment at school. And that family picture showed her, so it showed my wife a pregnant stick figure. <laughs> my daughter holding her sister's hand with a tear in her eye. And the dad was up in the air on an airplane with my face, a sad face in the window of that airplane. Um, that image is still with me. And at, in the midst of all this, um, Kim summoned the courage to tell me that she really wasn't sure if she wanted to remain as my wife. Mm. Yeah. So in the midst of all of that, was there a time when you felt Jesus inviting you into your role in his story? There was. And I, you know, we came to church. I, I came on Sunday. We weren't involved. It, something happened when I walked in. Um, but I didn't take it anywhere. But in that moment when all these things happened, I got on my knees and sincerely asked God to save my marriage, to help me continue to be the father of my daughters every day. Um, and it was sincere. And um, I, I, I hated this temper that I had. And I, I gave that to him. I surrendered it. And I was exhausted at the time. I was trying to figure things out on my own, try to be a better guy with my better husband, I, but I was hurting the people that I loved the most, and it was a pattern. And right. when, I, when I surrendered and asked God for help, um, something unexplainable happened to me. He worked a miracle inside me. Um, I felt lighter, my heart softened up, 
Um, the way I thought about situations and viewed people truly changed. Um, instead of appreciating, I was appreciating beauty instead of seeing the flaws that it used to bother me right. and aggravate me so much, and the anger just melted away. It was, it was, uh, I had a sense of peace that I'd never had before. Right. So what happened, what happened next? What happened next is God began bringing new people into my life that mm. would make a huge change, and the circumstances, um, what I held so dear, started to change. I viewed them differently. Um, one specific one is I had been consumed with work. I loved what I was doing. I was traveling all the time. Um, but within two weeks, someone I respected at our company reached out to me and created a position locally where I didn't have to travel. Mm. And I had a decision because my current management asked me to take a promotion with even more travel. Uh. And so my daughter's picture was very timely. <laughs> yeah. And I, I chose my role as a dad and as a husband, and you know, being a husband and father is, is something that only I can do. And I got to experience this wonder of watching these little girls grow, and I had a whole new admiration for Kim right. um, that happened um, as I watched her love our family in creative ways, and just all the unsung things that she did. Right. It changed the way I looked at her. Yeah. Um, at the same time, we, we answered a call. Um, you know, here we, 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 the role to serve. <laughs> Um, at one time, we called that get in the game. Oh, yeah. And we, I said yes. It was as simple as that. I started to, um, a new journey at Mountain Park at that time. I, I went into Men's Hope and met an amazing group of men and unwound that anger that I had had. Um, got to the root of it. Um, started up in men's ministry. Um, Kim got involved in the, the women's ministry here at the church and, and groups. And together we started serving, and we've been a part of that ever since. Now we're, we're in Marriage Mondays and students, and yeah. we're able to raise our daughters here and get baptized with them. Man, what a, what a cool story. I appreciate you yeah. taking time to share that with us. If you could say uh, one thing to someone who's, who's maybe here today or watching online, and they are where you were, and they're saying, I'm not really all that broken. My life's going pretty well. What would you say to them? I would say pay attention to that part of you that knows deep down that things aren't right. Mm. Um, I was thinking, as you asked this week, I was thinking of the, the way um, when we're at, we go to a hospital, we're admitted as a patient, and I just saw that word differently. We do have to admit it. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I spent 20 years chasing after fulfillment and trying to climb a ladder that was parked against the wrong wall. And there was an emptiness that remained. Um, inside of me after what was considered success, but I almost missed the most important role that God had for me. So pay attention to that part. And uh, for me, may not know what that was at the time because I was so satisfied, but I came across Psalm 139 um, and asked God to reveal what was going on inside of me and, and search me and know my heart mm. and test me and know my anxious thoughts and point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Um, so once I, I did that, I, I, I would say the next step would be to surrender those things, and God mm -hmm. does bring the peace. It's true. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Matthew wrote, you know, in, in, in Matthew, it tells us, come to me, all you are weary and broken. And the same burdened. Matthew we just yeah, learned yes. about, right? Is right and I will this. give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and, and, and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and the burden is light, and it was absolutely true for me. And mm -hmm. so I would surrender it to God. And then lastly, I would say just make an appointment with Jesus 
the one you have with Jesus, the most important one of your day. Put it on the calendar um, and stay connected to him. Good. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate you coming up and sharing. So we, we are patients here at Mountain Park. God is doing this in us and continues to. And uh, uh, Michael just alluded a little bit to this idea of making appointments with Jesus. So you've got your little prescription card here. And again, if you're watching online, just, just grab a piece of paper. On this card, it says, my next appointment is, and it has a colon. So uh, if you're online, just write down my next appointment is. And so when, you, you know, when you're in a recovery process, you have check-ins with the doctor, right? Here, I'm gonna come back to the doctor, see how I'm doing. So, so I wanna just encourage us this week to set up some daily check-ins with Jesus. Just, just some ways for us to daily come to Jesus and say, hey, I'm just checking in with you. What do you have to say to me? I'm, I wanna rely on you and let you shape my life. Now, if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, you've already done this probably in a lot of ways. Uh, but if you're new to it, I wanna give you an example of a way to do it. So the first thing you do is just write the days on this card. Okay, so you'll, we'll bring it up on the screen. Just write Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Just write those down on that, on that card. If you need to use the back, you can use the back. You can also do abbreviations, just MTW if you would like. But just write those down the side of it. And then uh, I'm gonna give you some ideas of some things that you can do to check in with Jesus. And again, you may already all have your own already and that's totally fine. But for those of you who are wondering, what does this actually look like? Here's just some suggestions for you. So maybe on Monday... It looks like doing our journals, one of our daily journals, which you can, if you don't have one, you can pick one up today. It has scripture in it. It takes just a few minutes to read that, reflect on that scripture, and then you say, I'm gonna pray for my family today. And then on Tuesday, you do the daily journal as well, and you say, I'm gonna pray for my neighbors today. And, and then I'm gonna invite them to trunk tree. I'm gonna invite them to the party. I'm gonna invite them to that celebration that I'm having. Maybe I'll even invite them to church on Sunday when we're doing baptisms. And then Wednesday, yeah, I'm gonna do that journal again. And this time, I'm gonna pray for my friends. People just that I know, we're coworkers. And maybe I'm actually gonna check in with, give them a call, check in. Maybe I'm gonna go to a small group, have some community, and just do a check in that way. And then Thursday, I'm gonna do that journal entry again. And, and maybe, like we talked about last week, practice confession. So I'm gonna work on, on, on admitting my brokenness freely. And then I'm gonna end with a worship song to remind myself that I'm not defined by my own brokenness. And then maybe on, on Friday, we do the journal again, and then it's just Thanksgiving. We're just thanking God for the week, thanking for the good things that he did. We go for a walk maybe at sunset, a hike, and just, just enjoy the beauty of his creation. And then Saturday, you come and you party at Trunk and Tree. And if you haven't signed up, do that between now and then, uh, especially as trunkers. We would love to have 50 trunkers out there making a great space for our, our families who are coming. And then on Sunday, you're coming to church because we're starting a series next week on Revelation, which is awesome. So you'll come to church and you're going to celebrate baptisms with us as people uh, declare their faith in Jesus. So some really cool practical next steps for you to take there. Uh, well, in a minute, uh, our prayer team is going to be up here to pray if you uh, want to come and pray with something. But before we leave, we wanted to give you one last look at some great tasting candy. All right, Grace, what do you say to one more? I think we can do it. Okay, one wait, more. wait. I'm going to pick for you. You pick for me. Sounds good. Let's go mm. green for you. 
I feel like that might be your favorite. This too. one's, I'm hoping, is my favorite flavor, buttered popcorn. But it could be egg. But it could be rotten egg. Okay, well, let's <laughs> see what happens. Let's go together on the count of three. Oh, or oh, just I'm go. I'm just going for it. Oh. Yes. <laughs> oh. 